I'm President Dennis A. Erdl. Thank you for joining us for the fifth episode of The Fireside Cast, the only presidential podcast in Upper Arlington. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Fia Steyer. Hi, Fia. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for having me on the program. Um, so, last week, um, the Arlingtonian released their latest issue. I, I know you worked for a while on the Arlingtonian. Can, can you tell us a, a bit about um, the, the latest issue and what you thought about it? Well, um, I thought the latest issue was very good. I liked the polls they put out. I thought they were interesting. And um, I really liked, I thought the articles that they printed were pertinent to student life, such as the one on Hermie the janitor, mm -hmm. who is a dear figure to, I think, most of the student body. Yeah. And the SAT articles as well, I thought were mm -hmm. very good. I, I thought it was very interesting how um, <coughs> the average student spends more than $1,000 preparing for the SAT and the ACT. It seems very interesting. It is, and that's a lot of money to be for a test that, I mean, it is a big test, but. Indeed. So, Thea, can you give us some insider insight in, into how um, an uh, edition of the Arlingtonian is produced? Well, Dennis, of course I'm not a member of the Arlingtonian now, but from what I know with my work with it last year, there's a lot of work. Each of the individual reporters goes out, they do their own research, <clears throat> they put a lot of time into interviewing people and getting good sources and making sure that the writing is quality material and mm -hmm. that everything cohesively fits together. I see. And about how much time would you say goes into a single edition? Um, well, they come out every month, so, you know, about a month each, you know. They put in as much time as they can. The Arlingtonian meets one period every day, mm -hmm. and they all put in as much as they can to make the paper what it is. And So in regards to national politics, I, I know the Kavanaugh hearings have been dominating the headlines recently. Um, with Christine Blasey Ford accusing um, Brett Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct back when he was in high school. And um, a, a number of other women have come out accusing Mr. Kavanaugh. Uh, what's your take on this matter? Well, um, obviously it's a very sensitive and current topic. So, But in general, I do think that it speaks a lot, um, especially in the way the trials were handled in like death threats coming from both sides and in the just intense political debate and the intense partisanship of how these hearings are being met. They're not being handled as simply a sexual assault case mm -hmm. or a question of Mr. Kavanaugh's character, but they're also being extended to represent everything of the parties and they're being extended to a very, in my opinion, not a very good place for this to go in terms of a Supreme Court hearing and a confirmation. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like um, a lot of um, the hearing was extremely politicized mm -hmm. with a lot of the Republicans um, uh, going very far um, to attack mm -hmm. the, the accusers. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina had a, temp a, a temper tantrum on, um, in committee and I, I thought that was very interesting because um, when um, Senator Graham ran for president um, in 2016, he seemed quite moderate and mild-tempered. And here, um, having a temper tantrum like that, I, I, I found it very interesting. Mm -hmm. what, what's your take on that? Well, I, I feel that the Republicans are under 
a lot of stress right now because they're combating time against the midterm elections and they want to have Brett Kavanaugh confirmed as justice, but it's gotten to the point where it doesn't even matter if the allegations are true and it doesn't even matter if he's not that great of a guy. And so they're being very forceful about it and they're being very irrational in some ways about it. And so I think that's a reflection of how hyped up and, well, energetic everyone's getting about this issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a number of Republican senators might have to vote no on, on Kavanaugh, such as um, Suzanne Collins from Maine, and sh she's facing quite a, um, well, she's not up for re-election this year. However, um, a lot of protesters were at her office in Maine um, throughout this week. And um, another interesting character is Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona. Um, he originally was a supporter of Kavanaugh. However, um, uh, under pressure, um, he said that he, he was in support of an FBI investigation into um, the allegations against Mr. Kavanaugh. Yeah, I think it's good that senators are stepping up and making and advocating for this investigation because I do think it's important not just to bring justice to Christine Blasey Ford and the other possible victims, but to also ensure that Brett Kavanaugh is a good candidate and of good character to be nominated to the most important court in the country for mm -hmm. the rest of his life. And so I do approve of Blake's actions, yes. I also wonder how um, the, the current case against Mr. Kavanaugh might affect some Democrats running for re-election in red states yeah. previously b before these allegations came to light. A lot of those Democrats, um, such as Heidi Heitkamp um, in North Dakota, um, were, were expected to vote in favor of Kavanaugh um, because um, they're facing very tough re-election battles in states which um, President Trump carried by more than 20 points. H however, now, um, in light of um, the current accusations, I, I feel like they, they might find themselves in a very tough spot because th the Democrat voters might punish them <laughs> for not for voting for Kavanaugh and the Republicans might for not voting for Kavanaugh. So it leaves them in a, in a very tough spot. And I think it, it might cause a number of um, Democratic seats to flip um, in the Senate. Well, you know, as we've said, it's a very highly politicized issue, and it's it's a very hard place to be put in as a senator because you want to keep your job, but if you, you know, like morally or personally don't feel comfortable voting for someone, you have to make that decision for yourself, and it's it's a very difficult position to be put in. And again, it just shows how extremely politicized the Supreme Court is becoming when it, and mm -hmm. I mean, even if Kavanaugh, yeah. Um, and if um. Uh, Mr. Kavanaugh is uh, appointed, eventually appointed to the Supreme Court. I think he, he will be seen as a political tool because he, he made highly politicized statements in his opening statement uh, in front of the, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee where he accused um, the, the Democrats of putting on a circus against him. And I, I think he will be seen as a highly political figure yes. On the court, for example, previous judges, such as um, back when um, Chief Justice John Roberts v 
voted in favor of um, Obergefell v. Hodges mm -hmm. in order to um, prove the court's neutrality. And I think the appointment of um, Kavanaugh might change that. Yes, definitely, because if he is even appointed, this controversy will follow him for the rest of his career. And I don't think, I don't think many people will respect him for that. And I think that his highly politicized remarks and the highly politicized nature of his approval will find, definitely change the nature of the Supreme Court and how we view appointments and the way things run on that mm -hmm. basis. Recently, there has been quite a lot of controversy surrounding um, Tesla, the electric car company. It, it is currently the highest valued car brand, or the, the car company in America, ahead of GM and many other companies. However, um, they have been running behind schedule on producing a number of cars, such as their Model 3. and. In August, Elon Musk sent out a tweet um, stating that um, he was going to take Tesla private at $420 per share. And um, so last week, the SEC filed a lawsuit. What's your take on this? Um, personally, um, I think it's very interesting that the SEC would designate Twitter as a place to inform investors as a you know viable source for that because it really just shows the changing influence of social media and society you know mm -hmm. if you put that in context with everything so but. and um, I believe they settled this week and um, mm -hmm. Elon Musk had to pay 20 million dollars um, and stepped down as chairman within 45 days mm -hmm. um, he founded Tesla and I don't know if Tesla could function as a company without um, Elon Musk, because I, I think what made Tesla Tesla was Elon Musk. He, he spent many nights in, in the factory, I, I, I know, working on the Model 3. And so I wonder if um, the, the, the newly appointed chairman will be able to bring in the same energy as um, Elon Musk no, I think that's a very valid concern. You know, Elon Musk is a prominent figure on the internet and in politics and really in every area. And he's done so much for Tesla, so much for the company. He's been a real innovator in so many areas. And I don't know if this will be detrimental for the company. Well, I'm sure it'll be detrimental for the um, company, but I don't know to what extent yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although um, Elon Musk does um, retain his membership on the board of directors, mm -hmm and he does get to remain um, CEO. However, in the past, um, Elon Musk <clears throat> has had previous controversies as well. For example, um, in the late spring in Thailand, um, he, he made a number of tweets accusing, falsely accusing one of the cave divers who were saving the children stranded there uh, of being a pedophile and um, those were proved false, mm -hmm. and um, Mr. Musk received a lot of criticism um, for that. And, and so I, I, I wonder if um, this says something about Mr. Musk's character, for example, stating that he had enough funds to take Tesla private when he didn't. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that says something about him. I certainly think it does, especially the pedophile accusations. That's 
a terrible thing for anyone to do, especially when it's false and unprovable in that sense. But I think, I mean, fame would get to anyone's head, you know, not to defend him in any way, but to say he probably has a bit of an ego mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, he could have been joking, but it was probably not the best decision to make. But sometimes people can be blind to the consequences of things like that. Indeed. So um, back to our previous talk about, uh, about politics. Um, politics has become greatly polarizing in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. How do you think we can fix that? Well, I think it starts from a cultural basis where our culture has become increasingly aggressive and increasingly set in our beliefs and I think the art of compromise has been lost in a lot of ways. You mm -hmm. know, I in um, Mrs. Sider's government class, Eric Yasinoff came in and talked to us on Wednesday and he was really preaching compromise and I think that's good because even though I may not have agreed with some of his policies, I still found parts that I agreed with in them and I was I, I could see that he was a good man who would ha you know wanted the best for our country and he was willing to compromise with the other side. And I think that's a very important thing to realize that whether you're Republican, Democrat, something else, or whether you disagree on different issues, there's always something that you can find to compromise on, and I think that's really where our country finds the best step forward. But it seems like a lot of the voters um, aren't really in favor of these moderate candidates. For example, um, on the Republican side back in 2016, there there were 20 candidates for the, the Republican bid, and um, President Trump, um, he, he got more votes than all the other um, moderate guys, for example, um, Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush or some of the other moderates like John Kasich. And so although I, a majority of the people I, I might want a more uh, moderate political environment, I think a lot of the voters within the parties are advocating for their ideology more than a moderate one. How do you think we could fix that? I think it starts with the populace taking responsibility for themselves, you know. Like even the founding fathers talked about this mob mentality where people, but to, you know, diffuse this mob, people need to take time and think. And I don't think people are thinking they want, they want instant gratification and they want everything to be fixed. And I think Trump promised them that, not he was not able to fulfill it, but he promised them that and he put on a show. And I think that drew voters' attention and drew their support. But I think if the populace could, if they could attain a place where people are more thoughtful about their political decisions and where they realize that extremism is never the way to go, then I think that would help to mend some of the wounds that are caused by this divisiveness. I see. Do um, you have thoughts on this? Well, I, I do agree with that. And I, I think um, it is also, um, you mentioned the, the Founding Fathers. I, I think it would be interesting to look at their philosophy of what our government should be. For example, a, a lot of the Founding Fathers, what, what they feared um, was an uneducated populace deciding the fate of the, uh, of, of the country. And, and that's why they, they put a lot of um, barrier, barriers in place so the people didn't directly interfere. For example, up until the 1920s, the Senate wasn't directly elected. And um, for example, the, the Electoral College to keep the people from directly interfering. I, I think what would help um, mend the, the issues in our country 
would be to educate voters about the government, to show them how the government works, to tell them that there's three branches of government. Because I, I, I guarantee you, there, at least a quarter of the American population can't tell you how many branches of government there are, yet they vote. And I, I think that's dangerous. And so I think what we need to do is educate the people, help them make an educated guess, or an educated vote on who they think can run the country. Oh, definitely. Voting and voting is a very powerful civic duty. And I think with that power, voters have the responsibility to research their candidates and make informed decisions. So I think education would really go a long way in ensuring that the American population knows what they're doing. <laughs> well, thank you for joining the program, Thea. Oh, thank you for having me. Major funding for the Fireside cast has been provided by Serpent Cinematography. TV Productions. Evolved Turtle Productions. The Combat Robot Kev Foundation. Empowering robotics engineering since 2016. And from contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. If you would like to sponsor an episode, please contact a cabinet member for further information.